Um, hey, as we're, as we're finding our seat, I just want to welcome you to Gateway Family Church. Your first time, um, or maybe you haven't been here in a very long time. Uh, I think in the seat back in front of you, there's a little QR code you can scan to let us know that you were here today. We would love to have um, just some knowledge that you were here. Uh, just send you a little note and thank you for being a part. Hey, when we prayed earlier for Marty, one of the things I want to just kind of make sure everybody understands, um, as we're praying for Marty, it's... Uh, some of you guys know Marty. Some of you don't know him. Uh, I've been talking to some people lately. Uh, some of you are very new to the church, and Marty has been sick for a little while. He was diagnosed with throat cancer. Um, he went through chemo. Everything was looking good. Tumors were all going down. And then um, from there, he ended up with pneumonia, and he ended up with fluid on his lungs and in his lungs. Um, and they tried to work on that. And, and now the doctors have come in, and he's on a, he's on a vent. Um, so it's pretty serious. Uh, his, the doctors have come in and not given uh, his wife a good report. And, uh, and so Jane, uh, this whole time, she just said, hey, we don't, we don't want any visitors. Just pray from, pray from home or pray from church. But we, we really don't want anybody coming up here to see him. And so while I was out of town this week, she texted and said, hey, when you get back in town, will you come see him? And so it's, it's one of those deals. So just be praying for, for Marty, A, for healing, and then pray for Jane as well as she's walking through this with him um, it's a tough situation for those guys. Um, before we get into the message today, I did I do want to just tell you guys this other little note. So this past week, for three days, uh, my dad and Jay and I went down to Guatemala. Um, and so we were trying to prep for our upcoming trip in 2024. Uh, in, in July of 24, we're going to be going to Guatemala, taking a church trip down there. We're going to be building a building and doing a medical clinic at the same time. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we went down to just kind of get a feel for everything, meet the pastors, try to get some stuff started um, and, and get the ball rolling on a few, a few things um, because we're not working with the missionary down there. It's just us and the pastors just kind of figuring it out. And it's going to be great. Um, and while we were down there, we're going to show you a video later. Uh, we met the pastor and his wife and his one-year-old little baby, and she's adorable. Um, we got to see the building that we're going to be working in. Um, it was really cool, uh, very busy three days. Uh, we went to go check out a house uh, our, our goal this year was to see if we could, instead of doing hotel, if we could do a house. We've got one person um, that, that said, hey, when we go down, I want to cook all the meals. And I said, well, to do that, we better find a house. So we went down and looked at a house, and it was amazing. I mean, it, it was absolutely stunning. It, it had a pool, I think. It had um, all these bedrooms. It was like a, it was like a, you know, a four-star hotel, uh, maybe not quite five-star, four-star hotel, but in the house form, incredible kitchen, a rooftop area to hang out. And, um, and then we said, all right, well, let's map it. Let's see how long it takes us to get to the job site. And it was an hour and a half from the job site. <laughs> we were just like, mark that off the list. Uh, can't have the nice house. And so, uh, so the, the, the family took us. They said, they said, well, look, we've got a little place it's a, it's a guy owned this farm, and he had this house, and it's, it's basically like a compound. It's multiple houses, and you can stay there. And it's got a pool and a hot tub, and it's got a big kitchen area. And so we're getting kind of hyped up. Like, okay, let's go check it out. And so we go uh, down this dirt road, and I mean, it, it was very uh, dirt road. And so we're doing this in the SUV the whole time, and um, I was wishing I had my Jeep. And so we make it down to the end of this dirt road. And um, this guy comes out with a big machete and says, I'll show you the, where to go. And we start walking around this old, decrepit property. And I thought, we're about to get murdered. This is it. Like, this is it. He's about to kill us with this machete. And so we go look in these places. 
And um, I told them, I said, you know what? I'm all about roughing it. Like, I can rough it. I don't mind camping. I don't mind sleeping on the ground. Like, let's do it. I said, but when I know that there are places we could stay, I don't want to stay here. My wife sure as heck's not going to stay here. And so we decided to pass on that one. And, um, and so we went back to the, to our place and I literally was praying. I was writing in my, in my journal. I was like, God help us find a place to stay. And so the last, the last morning we're getting ready to go fly out. And, um, and I, I found this thing on Airbnb and I, I talked to the guy and I said, is it possible for us to come look at your property? He said, yeah, you can come around 10 o'clock. Well, we misjudged our time. We got there at seven thirty, and, um, and so I was like, Dad, just get out. Like, I'm honking the horn. I said, just get out. So just start banging on the door. See if someone will come let us in. They came and let us in. And sure enough, it was this place. It's got like like five or six little houses. And you can put rooms in it. There's rooms in all of the little houses. Um, it's not like as nice as the one that was an hour and a half away. But it's sure not the one that was right across the street from the job site. So, uh, so God answered that prayer. Um, we didn't know how much money we would need for the trip. God answered that prayer. Uh, so everything just started falling in line for us. And so on the way back, we just kept saying over and over again, what a wonderful, um, God ordained trip it was, even though it was just three days. So anyways, I'm excited, uh, to, to be able to get you guys on a missions trip and, and to really start the process of our church doing this every year. Uh, going on mission trips every year. That's going to be my goal, and, um, and I think we're going to hit it. So anyways, all right, gratitude. We're going to start a brand new series uh, for the month of November uh, called Be Thankful, Be Thankful. And so um, in this series, uh, we're going to go through, myself and Pastor Nathan are going to be preaching this series together. We're going to be going through uh, what does it mean to be thankful. Uh, you're going to hear us use the terms thankful and gratitude back and forth quite a bit. Um, and so we're going to be running those words uh, interchangeably throughout this thing. And so um, one of the things, before we get started, I want, I want to just focus on that, that first, the first two words, be thankful. Um, I want you to notice something. When, when we see the word be in there, the word be does not mean act thankful. The word be does not mean pretend to be grateful. The word be does not mean fake it till you make it. The word be means it's who I am. It identifies me as a thankful person. When I tell you to be thankful, and whenever I say I want to be thankful, it means I want to be a thankful person. I want that to be my identity as someone that's thankful. And we'll talk about throughout this series the power of gratitude or thankfulness. There is a power, a biblical power behind it that really is going to transform some stuff in our lives if we can learn to become thankful people. I was just thinking about being thankful and I was thinking about people in my life that I, that I find very thankful. Some of you will know this lady, some of you will not at all, so it doesn't matter if you don't know her. But there's a, there's a lady, as, um, as I coach in the gym during the week, Every so often I get to coach her, and her name is uh, Danielle Ratliff. And, and if, you, if you don't know Danielle, I'm going to explain her to you for just a second. Danielle is, is uh, one of those people that's just super nice, and I don't know how she treats everybody else, but I know how she treats me as a coach. And Danielle thanks me for every single thing that I say. And it's amazing. I might be completely wrong. She doesn't care. She thanks me for it. She thanks me for it. And it's one of those deals, like at first I thought it was fake. You know, have you ever had those kind of people that are so nice that you think this isn't real? Like this person is a fake person and I don't know if I like this person or not. Because eventually they're going to crack. Not Danielle. Not Danielle. Danielle, I've seen Danielle throw a wall ball up in the sky and it hit her in the face. 
And she was like, thank you for that wall ball. Like, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I would go up to Danielle and she'll be getting ready to do a movement. And I'll say, Danielle, you need to move your feet in just an inch. If you'll just move your feet in just an inch, I think you're going to do a little bit better. And after the whole workout's over, she'll come up to me. She'll say, thank you so much for telling me to move my feet in. I made such a difference. And I'm thinking, it did not. It didn't make one bit of difference. I was lying just to see if you would thank me. And she did. She thanks you for everything. And it got, it just hit me. I thought, you know what? She is a thankful person. She's a thankful person. Now, her husband may say totally different things, but in my eyes, in my eyes, she is a thankful person. And I want to be a thankful person. I want to be the kind of person that's not just thankful for the big, but thankful for the little as well. And so we're going to, throughout this series, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be thankful. We're I'm going to lay out some, some kind of big picture points today, and I'm not going to get into the details on them because we're going to use those as our sermon topics later on throughout the month. Um, but one of the things, as I was thinking about being thankful, one of the things I, I, I thought about that really makes a lot of sense is that whenever I become a thankful person, it really bulletproofs my heart. It bulletproofs my heart. And, and, and the Bible says this. I'm going to read the same verse in two different versions because I think it's really cool. Proverbs 4.23 um, Proverbs 4.23 in the New Living Translation says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, oftentimes, whenever we read it in the Bible and it says something about guarding your heart, uh, when it talks about the heart, it, it really talks about your mind, will, and emotions. And, and so what uh, the psalmist is, I mean, the, the, the Solomon is saying here is he's saying that you need to guard your heart above all other things, right? Protect your heart. Why? Because from your heart flows everything that you do. From your heart flows your thoughts, your attitudes, and your actions. It's important that we guard and protect our hearts. And so I'm going to call it bulletproofing my heart today um, because I want my heart to not get, it's not about being broken. It's about our heart being safe and our heart being pure. Uh, There's another version, the English Standard Version says this, keep your heart with all uh, vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The word vigilance there is is backs up to the word guard in the other one. And what it means is it's it's like um, a prison guard standing guard over over a prisoner, not allowing the prisoner to leave, right? Like he is guarding and protecting that area. And, And so whenever God says this about guarding your heart, it's important. It's important that we take it serious. We have to protect our heart. And being thankful protects my heart. Being thankful protects my heart. Because as I learn to be thankful, even in a bad situation. See, what happens to us a lot of times is we lose that uh, gratitude. We lose that sense of thankfulness. And we get into a bad situation. We get a bad report from the doctor. We, we, our, our, our bank account um, starts dropping faster than it should. And, and all of a sudden, we become bitter. We become angry. Uh, we begin to fear. We sang earlier about having a sound mind and not a spirit of fear. We lose that sound mind whenever we lose that sense of gratitude. And so it's important that we bulletproof our hearts today by cultivating a heart of gratitude. And so uh, I'm going to give you three, three thoughts here, and we'll have some you know, sub-thoughts sub here as well. But, but number one, the first, first way that we need to learn to cultivate a heart of gratitude is to be thankful for the giver more than we're thankful for the gift. Be thankful for the giver more than we're thankful for the gift. Now, this is going to apply spiritually and physically as well, okay? So it's going to make sense in both. Ephesians 5.20, I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. Ephesians 5.20 says this, And give thanks for everything to whom? 
to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says you need to be thankful for everything, but you're thankful not for the things, but you're thankful to God the Father who provides all the things. James 1.17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. When we learn to be thankful for the giver, the size and scope of the gift don't matter. Think about that for a second. When I learn to be thankful for the giver, the size and scope of the gift don't really matter. Sometimes whenever we get presents, Christmas is coming up soon, and, and I know my kids have already started asking for gifts. I mean, it didn't, we, the 96.5 didn't start playing Rudolph yet, and they've already got a Christmas list, list showing up at my house, right? So, so we're already ready to start buying stuff. But here's what happens sometimes as a father um, or maybe as a mother, some of you guys that are, as parents, sometimes it can be a little bit frustrating, is when your kids care more about the gift than they do about the person giving it. One of the things I appreciate, one of the times whenever, um, I think it was Colt, um, he's not here today, he's, he's at home sick, but I think it was Colt that did this, but every time he opened up a present, he would go, thank you so much, and we didn't even, it wasn't something he even asked for, like he opens up a pajama shirt, thank you so much dad, and he would run to his room and put on the shirt immediately and come running back. And then he opens up a, you know, like a, a, a saint's shirt. And he's like, ah, oh, I love the saints. And he would put the saint's shirt on top of the pajama shirt. And then he opened up a jacket. He's like, oh, it's my favorite. And he would put the jacket on, on top of the saint's shirt, on top of the pajama shirt. I mean, he had every gift he opened, he had on. He looked like the kid from um, A Christmas Story. I mean, just totally covered in clothes. And every time he opened it, he would say, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Thank you, honey. Thank you, darling. Mean, he was so appreciative and he was so thankful, not just for the gift, but he was thankful for the giver. And as a dad, it makes you feel good. Now, whenever you have those kids that just open up a present and they just throw it to the side and they don't really care about the present or about who gave it, they're just ready for the next one. Those are the kids you want to kick, right? Like those are the ones that you just want to say, Emma, get out of here. You know, that's the kind of thing. That we do in our home. Not Emma. She's the devil. Um, she's not. She's not. She's a good kid. Um, but we've got to make sure. We've got to make sure that we're focused on the giver. And I think sometimes what we do is we focus so much on the gift. We were just talking. Um, my dad, Cowboy, was preaching a couple weeks ago uh, on, a, on a Wednesday night. And then he preached also uh, to a small group. And one of the things he talked about was we, we mention the gifts of the Spirit a lot in the church, right? We talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And, and he said what, what some people do is they take the gift of the Spirit, whatever gifts those are, and they claim them for themselves, and it's their gift. But the Bible never says that. It says it's the gift of the Spirit. It's his gift. But what we do is we focus so much on that gift, we forget about him. And so we dishonor him when we don't use the gift properly. Or when we lay claim to the gift and we say it's our gift, this is mine, and I forget about him. So the first way we need to be uh, cultivating a thankful heart is to be thankful for the giver more than the gift. The second way we need to do it is be thankful in all circumstances. Now, I'm going to be preaching a whole message on just this, so we're not going to get into it too much. But we need to be thankful in all circumstances. So let's go ahead and say it. Last night, I'm a big LSU fan. Last night, 
my team lost, right? My team lost to another team. And if you, if you start cheering, I'm just going to preach longer. So it's, it's up to you. You keep talking. We'll just keep, we'll keep talking. Okay. Um, so anyway, so, so we, uh, we're, we're watching the game or whatever. And, and I don't, I don't like, I don't text people during the game. I don't talk trash anymore. I used to talk a lot of trash. I used to talk trash from the pulpit, and then people started leaving church because they were such Alabama fans that they could not handle a little bit of ribbing from the stage. And so I had to stop. I had to dial everything back. And so last night uh, or this morning, I got a text from from Jay because he and I have been kind of going back and forth. We're on this Guatemala trip together, and and he's a big um, uh, fan of someone else and not LSU. And so as we began going back and forth, he texted me this morning, and he said, well... At least church attendance across the state is going to be up today. And uh, I said, that's, that's being thankful in all circumstances, right? We've got to be grateful in all circumstances. Um, so I think it's good. I think it's good for, for the kingdom if Bama wins, because we all know Bama fans don't go to church after a loss. So, um, so 1 Thessalonians 5.18 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'm going to just talk louder. I'm talking louder over you. Don't even start. Get thee behind me, Jay. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this. It says, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It doesn't say be thankful when things are going good. A verse I'm going to share later. I didn't even put my notes for today. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It doesn't say I'm going to rejoice in the day that's good. It says I'm going to rejoice in whatever day we're in, good or bad, because God has created this day. My gratefulness to God is not dependent on my circumstances around me. I can be thankful in a bad place. The Bible tells the story of Paul and Silas. They were missionaries, and on one of their journeys, they were arrested, they were beaten, they were flogged, they were put in the bottom of a prison. And the Bible says at midnight, they begin to worship God. They begin to thank God. Now, they're in the worst possible place you could be, and they're worshiping and thanking God. And the Bible says in that moment, an earthquake hit and the prison doors were open. An amazing story, an amazing story. But the amazing story doesn't happen without being thankful in a bad circumstance. Some of us are facing some bad circumstances. We just talked about one of our our church family members, Marty, that's going through a bad circumstance. And, And we've got to learn in a bad circumstance to still be thankful, still be grateful. And you may say, Gabriel, that's really hard to do. It's absolutely hard to do. It's way harder to do than it is just for me to talk about. That's way easy. But it's so hard to do. And so what we have to do is we have to learn to look for, you have to look for, you have to seek out the areas to be thankful. You have to seek out the areas to be thankful. Some of you may be struggling in your marriage right now. But you know what? You're both in church today. Be thankful for that. Some of you may be struggling with your health right now. But you woke up this morning. Be thankful for that. There's always something that we can be thankful for. Um, I, I was not supposed to preach today. Actually, I was going to be on this trip, and Pastor Nathan said, we're in staff meeting when we're talking about our calendar, and he said, hey, man, you're going to be out of town. You're going to be out of the country. Let me preach the first week of November, and that way you, you, know, you can focus on doing your Guatemala thing, and when you get back, then you'll have your, your week to get ready for the, for the next message. I said, that's awesome. Let's do it. And so um, I just have been working on Guatemala and working on other stuff. And so we get home late Friday night. 
Um, and once we get home late Friday night, I get up the next morning early and I go uh, to the hospital to visit Marty. And then on my way back from the hospital, I get a text from Nathan. He says, hey, I lost my voice. He said, I am so sorry, but I can't speak. And it's to the point, like with his wife, I asked Brooke, I said, well, how's Nathan doing? She said, well, he's doing a lot of hand gestures and clicks and, um, you know, snaps to try to get our attention to talk to us because he completely lost his voice. And he said, I'm so sorry. I mean, multiple times I've got multiple texts about him saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't believe this is happening, but I can't preach and you're going to have to preach. And I was like, it's all good. We'll figure it out. Like I literally get paid to preach like this is okay. Uh, you know, God says, be ready in season and out of season. I said, we'll figure it out. So, um, so I get home and I tell Paris, I said, well, I'm preaching, so I'm going to go study. And so I start working on my message for today and start, start working through stuff. And, and as I was thinking about it, literally preparing the message, I got to thinking about things I can be thankful for. And, and I'm not thankful that Nathan can't speak. I mean, although it will make staff meeting on Tuesday way easier, but I'm not thankful for that. But what I am thankful for, what I am thankful for is I got to thinking, um, some of you may have noticed the, the little building out here, right? And so, um, so listen, this is really cool. So we've got this little building. We're going to use that as an office, which means we're going to knock down this wall right here, which will open up more space here in the church. That's an amazing thing for us. And we're so excited about that. Um, but that little building is just a shell. It's just a shell. A lot of work needs to be done. I got to build some walls and I got to, I got to do some work out there. And, and the whole time I was thinking like, it's great that I don't have to preach Sunday, but like this is before I was like, but next week I'm going to be working in that building all week long. Like I'm going to be really busy out there. And so when Nathan called and he's or texted, he couldn't call. Um, he called and said, okay, baby. and so, um, so when he, when he texted, I was like, you know, it's okay, but it hit me, man, what perfect timing. What perfect timing, because he's going to preach next Sunday. That gives me all week to work out there and not feel the stress or pressure of, oh, I got to make sure my sermon is, is ready. It gives me two weeks to get ready. So I learn to be thankful in all things, in all circumstances, even when there's pressure, even when things are hard. I learn to be thankful. How? By finding things to be thankful for. Number three, we need to be thankful for what we have. Now, I know that sounds like, yeah, duh, be thankful for what you have. But, but here's a problem. The first thing that's going to hit us, the first attack, we talked about spiritual attacks the last month. We talked about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles. The first spiritual battle you're going to face whenever you're trying to learn to be thankful is the, is the battle of comparison. And we have to learn to fight that, that comparing, fight comparison, uh, because that battle is going to try to get in us. That, that comparison is going to try to get in us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this, you must not covet your neighbor's house. Everybody say covet for me. Covet's a big word. It's not, it's small, but it's, it means a lot. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So the word covet there means to desire something that's not yours. To desire something that you don't have. And we live in a culture that is always wanting more. We live in a culture that is never satisfied with what we have. The word contentment is not in our vocabulary. We always want more. I want what that person has. I want their salary. I want their position. I, 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 want, I want their wife and their kids and their cars and their house. I always want what someone else has. Because, because we begin to compare what we have to what they have. 
I can't tell you how many times I, I, I rag on my kids a lot, we, but I do love my kids and I have really good kids. But I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me and, and they would say, I wish my kids were as good as your kids. And I think, your kids will never be that good. And, and I, but I think about it for a second. Listen, I had people, listen, I, I, for real, I had people, I was a good kid growing up um, for part of my life, and then, and then I was a bad kid for a little while, and then I was a good kid again. And, and so in my good kid phase, I, I literally had people coming up to me, moms coming up to me, and they would say, I wish my son acted like you. And I thought, that's a terrible thing to say to me. Like, it's not my fault I'm good. It's definitely your fault as a parent that your kid's jacked up. So why are you saying this to me? You know, like, it was one of those things I always struggled with. And I think it's something that we struggle with as people is we always want what someone else has. We can never be satisfied with what we have. I knew a family one time, and they had two little boys. And, and the boys were probably, I don't know, three or four years apart. And, um, and I remember we went over, one of the little boys was having a birthday party and I was older. And so, um, my family went over and so we're going there for the birthday party. And I noticed two piles of presents and I was like, no, why are there two piles of presents? One kid has a birthday, but there's two piles of presents. And they said, well, if we give presents to the one kid, the other kid gets so upset that we got to give him presents too. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Now, maybe some of y'all do that. And if you do, you're stupid. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I said that just for Lisa because she wanted me to. Um, listen, we cannot, we cannot get into this idea where we're always coveting what someone else has. And, and the Bible says this in Ephesians 5.5. 5. This is why it's so serious. Ephesians 5.5. 5. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, he talks about immoral. That's pretty self-explanatory. Impure, also self-explanatory. Greedy, I would think, would be self-explanatory. But then Paul has to come back and tell us more about greed. He says, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. When we're greedy, when we covet, when we want what everybody else has... The Bible says that we're literally idol worshipers. And so it's very serious. Here's the reason why it's serious. Because whenever we covet, that always leads. I mean, when we compare, compare my stuff to their stuff, then that leads to me complaining. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. When I start to complain, that puts me in a bad place with God. When I covet, that's a sin and it's not good. But when I start to complain, that puts me in a bad relationship with God. All you have to do is read the book of Exodus. Read the book of Numbers. Read anything that talks about the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the promised land. What was supposed to be an 11-day journey took 40 years and an entire generation had to die off because they complained. Because they complained. I'm going to use this verse later on in a couple of weeks when I preach another message about this. So maybe you'll forget it by then. But the Bible literally says the people complained so much that Moses told God, just kill me. Just put me out of my misery. That's in the Bible. That's in, I think, Numbers chapter 11. And you need to understand something. When we complain, when we complain, it puts us against God. And 
it puts us against people. No one wants to be around a person that complains all the time. No one wants to be around a person that's always whining. No one wants to be around a person that everything has fallen apart. And I have to catch myself sometimes because there's times in life when I feel like everything's falling apart. And I have to just catch myself. I think, man, am I telling everybody my problems? I need to dial it back because I don't want to be perceived as someone that complains. Let's end the message. So there was three things that we can do that we can have to cultivate a grateful heart. We can be thankful for the giver more than the gift. We can be thankful in all circumstances. And we can be thankful for what we have. Be content, right? So here's a couple other things to talk about the power of gratitude. And this is where we're going to stop the message today. This is going to be the end. So I want to talk about gratitude has a power. I said that earlier, and I want to show you what it does for us. So gratitude does three things. Number one, it calms our souls. It's very hard to be anxious and thankful at the same time. One of the things I've started doing in my journaling, whenever I, whenever I journal and, and, and pray by, by writing, is, um, is I've put in my template um, three things to be grateful for that day. And so I'll write down three things, just three, that I'm grateful for that day. And, and listen, if Perry and I are having an issue, if we're having an argument or a fight, or we're you know, at odds on something, then I try to make sure she's the first thing I'm thankful for. And I try to write down why I'm thankful for her. Because it's very hard for me to stay angry whenever I'm being thankful for someone. Whenever, whenever I feel like, you know, um, my job is not going the way I want it to go, when I feel like things aren't happening the way I want them to happen here at the church, I will write down the church. And I'll write down why am I thankful for this church? Why am I grateful for what God is doing? It's important for you to write those down. We just went to this, this little church um, in, in Guatemala, did I tell you, I can't remember if I told you or I told the, the, the worship team before, and did I tell you about the building that they have? So the building, we went to go see the building, and it looks like a normal building. We walk in the door, and, um, and when we walk in the door, the, the pastor begins to tell us, because we started looking around, and we started noticing that the, that the pillars, right, the beams that go up to hold the roof up aren't, aren't connected. They don't come out of the wall. They're just in the floor, and they go straight up. And we started noticing that the front wall of the church isn't really a front wall. It's a big gate and a big opening there that that you can open and close. And what we realized after talking to the pastor was this was just the space between two buildings. And they rent the space between two buildings. And they paid to pour a concrete slab in between two buildings And they paid to put up these beams connected to the floor and to to build a, a tin roof over the space between two buildings. Their church isn't even a real building. But they meet there and they treat it like it's the greatest place ever. Their church, when you walk in, there's a little shack, literally a little like wooden Piece together shack inside their building. I thought they just stored stuff in there. They told us later, that's the bathroom. They said, Pastor, you hear everything. For comparison, their building is probably smaller than these two sections right here. So just imagine you guys sitting in the back of that section. 
that the sound booth was a bathroom. They had a little stage. They had two worship leaders on stage, two guys on a guitar. They had a set of drums that was completely broken. Can't even use them. But the church people, some of them were so old and they're so traditional, they wouldn't let them sell the drums. Now, Pastor Jonathan couldn't make it. Because if something is five minutes old, he's ready to throw it away, give it to the thrift store like, no. If it's broken and Anna says, yeah, but we can use the parts, Jonathan will find a way to take it out of the house and throw it in the garbage can. Am I right? I'm right. So we see they got a broken set of drums on stage that they can't even use. They got two guys on a guitar. One of them's mad at the pastor. So the whole time he's singing, he's doing this. Like he's just, like he's mad at the guitar, not just the pastor. And I just thought, man, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for all that God has done. You better answer that phone quick. Gratitude calms my soul. So gratitude calms my soul. The Bible says this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts. We talked about that earlier. And your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Colossians three fifteen says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. So gratitude calms my soul. Gratitude changes my perspective. Listen, we tend to treasure the things we're thankful for. We tend to treasure the things we're thankful for. When I was a little kid, we lived in Costa Rica. And, and um, in other countries, you know, they don't load up all their stuff with sugar the same way we do. All right. Um, and so a lot of times, like I brought some candy back for my kids and some snacks back for my kids and, and they started eating them. They're like, dad, this is something's off. <laughs> it's like, something's not right with this candy. And I was like, it doesn't have a lot of sugar in it. And so they're like, yeah, that's it. It's very bland and terrible. Um, and so, so in other countries, they don't, they don't necessarily put as much sugar in as we do. And so one time we're in Costa Rica and we decided to go hike this volcano. And so we're hiking up this volcano and we got some people that had come down from the States. And when they came down, they had brought chocolate chip cookies and I hadn't had a good chocolate chip cookie in a while. And if you don't know me, it's like donuts, ice cream and chocolate chip cookies. And if you could ever combine the three, oh my gosh, that would be heaven. And so, um, so I'm going up this mountain, I'm climbing this mountain. I'm a little kid. I'm like six years old. And as we're hiking up the mountain, this lady was like, do you want a chocolate chip cookie? I was like, absolutely I do. And so I took the chocolate chip cookie and I was so thankful for the chocolate chip cookie. And as we're climbing, I thought this is the only cookie I'm going to have. And this is the beginning of our missionary career. Right. And so I'm like, I'll never get another cookie again. And so I'm going to take full advantage. And as we climbed, I would nibble on this cookie and nibble on this cookie the whole way up the mountain. Hours we're climbing up the mountain and we get to the top of the mountain and the lady looks over and she's like, did you not like the cookie? I was like, I love the cookie. She said, why do you still have half a cookie left? I was like, because it was my only cookie. I wanted to make it last as long as I could make it last. She's like, I've got a whole box of them. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. I look like cookie moss. I was like, give me some more. You know, I treasured what I was thankful for. I treasured what I was thankful for. It's hard to hate people when you're thankful for them. The last one is this. Gratitude is the key to his presence. So 
not only does gratitude calm my storm, I mean my soul, gratitude changes my perspective, and then gratitude is the key to his presence. And, and really, at the end of the day, that's what we need. More than anything else, we need his presence. More than self-help, more than counseling, and those things are good, we need his presence. More than a good sermon and a good song, we need his presence. We need to step into the presence of God and allow him to heal us, to speak into us, to change us. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates. How do I enter his gates? With thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give him thanks. Um, give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalm 95 2 says, let us come into the, his presence. How? With thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So why do we, why do we start the service with music? Why do we start the service with praise and worship? We don't do it because it's our tradition. We could end the service with praise and worship. We could flip it all around if we wanted to. We can do whatever we want. There's no, there's no rule book on how to run church. We can do whatever we want. But there's a purpose behind starting the service with praise and worship. And the purpose behind that is just what this verse says. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful no- noise to him with songs of praise. There's something about worship and praise and thanksgiving that get tied together. As I worship him, I begin to thank him for all that he's done and all that he's doing and all that he will do. And our songs tell us those things. Our songs lead us into a place of thanksgiving. And why do we do it at the beginning? We do it at the beginning because we want the presence of God to show up. If the presence of God isn't here, then this is just a motivational speech. If the presence of God isn't here, then this is just a club for a bunch of people to come hang out. While those things are okay, they're not why we do church. We do church to meet with the Father. And so we start with praise and worship. That's why it's so important, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not upset at anybody that shows up late, but, but one of the things we see in church so often, and it makes me question, is like, we'll start praise and worship, and then people show up about the midway through the second song. And for a pastor, sometimes it's a little frustrating, and you don't ever hear me get on a soapbox, really, but it's a little frustrating because I know the power of praise and worship. I know that if we can show up and start worshiping, that his presence is going to show up. It makes my job a lot easier because he speaks to your heart. And all I do is lead you through some scriptures. But if we got to wait, if we got to wait, then we're going to miss what God is doing. One more Guatemala story and then we're going to take communion. And we're going to close out today. We walk in, so, so we get there and the, and we're talking to the pastors. We just meet them. And they said, hey, as a matter of fact, tonight we've got church. And I was like, it's Thursday. Why are you doing church on a Thursday? And they said, well, we do Sunday morning church. It's for everybody. And the Sunday night church is Sunday school because they only have one room, right? Sunday night church is, is for Sunday school. And then, then Monday night church is for the men. And then Tuesday night church is for the women. And then Wednesday night church is for the youth. And then Thursday night church is for everybody to come. And then we start back over on Sunday. And maybe Saturday they do an outreach or something. There was something they do on Saturday. And I'm like, y'all do church a lot, like way more than we do. You know, like, what are y'all doing? And she's like, we're small. We just got to get, we got to get out there. We got to reach people. And the only way we know to reach people is just do church, keep doing it, like do stuff. I was like, okay. 
So we go into this Thursday night service, and not a lot of people are there. It's not like their Sunday morning service. And the first thing that happens as we walk in, they don't have a CD playing or, or a CD playing. Look how old I am. They don't have um, a computer playing music like before service like we do. Um, they've got the, the worship band, the two guys. One of them's mad, one of them's happy, and they're up there playing. Like That's how for 15, 20 minutes, these guys are just playing music. And I just started watching these people. And, and one by one, as the people would come into church, before they would go greet their neighbor, before they would find a seat, they would go find a place at the altar. One by one, they would come down. There was no one asking them to do it. No one telling them to do it. There wasn't like a big screen on the wall saying, now's the time for prayer. No, no, no. They would just come down and just by themselves, they would begin to pray. And, and I don't know what they were praying for, but I feel like maybe they're just praying for their day and praying for their week and, and maybe praying for their families. And, and then maybe praying for that service that God would show up and he would do some amazing things. And they would pray for three or four minutes and get up and go back to their seat. And they're talking to their friends. And here comes another one. And they come down and pray. And then a couple comes down and prays. And then the pastor comes down and he prays and goes back to his seat. And they're just, I just see these people coming down and praying. And then worship starts. And they started with two choruses. And, and, and they, they led two old hymns. And, and after the hymns, someone read some scriptures. And then they go into praise and worship. The first one was just... I don't know what it was. It was like the intro to worship. And then the real worship started and, and they go in, they begin to sing. And, and then the pastor gets up and he begins to preach. And at the end, he was like, and now we're going to have Pastor Mike and Pastor Gabriel and Hota. They're going to come pray for everyone in, in the room. And everybody comes down for prayer and we just go out and we start praying for people. We're laying hands on people. We're praying for people. And as we do, I mean, people are just, just weeping and they're worshiping and they're, they're giving everything they've got to God. And, 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 and the presence of God was there. And after it was over, we were talking, the three of us were talking. And Jay said, he said, I don't know what was, God was doing because could, he couldn't understand the language. He didn't speak Spanish. He said, I don't know what God was doing in that service. But let me tell you something. It was real. And I could feel it. I could sense it. Even though I didn't understand a word. God was there. I think God was there because people were very thankful. They didn't have the best building. They didn't have the best stuff. They live in a bad neighborhood. But they started, their, they started with Thanksgiving. Why don't you stand up with me today? I told you to stand up. Now I'm going to make you work. There is a communion cup under the seat in front of you, like on the, on the tray. If you're in the plastic chairs, it's under your seat. So you have to get that communion cup out for me. We're going to take that communion cup. And on the top of it, it's like a, like a little lunch bowl. You're going to peel back the top, take the bread out. Don't open up the juice just yet. Just, just hold the bread. I think a big part of communion is really gratitude. Like... Like sometimes we make communion into something that becomes a tradition. We do it here the first Sunday of every month. We'll do it uh, this year, the last uh, Sunday that we meet together for, I think Christmas Eve is going to be our last service. It's going to be like family communion service. It'll be a shorter service. And so we have these communion times, communion services or communion moments. And if we're not careful, sometimes it just becomes like, like rote memory. It becomes just a tradition, just something that we do. But really it's all about gratitude. It's all about gratitude because here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. It says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Gratitude. 
Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, remembrance is a funny word that we don't really use. If we turned it into today's vernacular, it would just be do this and remember me. Do this and remember what I did for you. Do this and remember the cross. Do this and remember the the, the man with the withered hand that I healed. Do this and remember when Lazarus was dead and I raised him up. Do this and remember the blood that I shed for our sins. Do this and remember that I came up out of the grave. Do this and remember everything I've done for you. Throughout the Old Testament, God continually tells Israel, he says, remember that you used to be slaves, but I brought you out. Remember that you used to be captives to Babylon, and I brought you back. Remember that the temple was destroyed, and it was rebuilt. And God always calls people back to a place of remembering what God has done. Why? Because sometimes it doesn't feel good where we are, but if we remember where we came from, if we remember what God did for us, it gives us a new perspective. We become thankful and grateful. So we're going to take that bread today. And before you take it, we're going to pray over it. And as I pray over it, I, I want you to just begin to remember the things God has done in your life. Remember the physical things he's done, the material things that he's done. Don't, we're not talking about sin just yet. I want you to think about all the blessings, all the times whenever you were sick and he healed you. All those times whenever you prayed for someone to get healed and they didn't get healed, but he walked you through the grief process that he was close to the brokenhearted. Remember all those times when you didn't know how you were going to get the money, but then the money showed up. Remember the different times when God has blessed you. So God, today we take this bread and, and, and before, we, before we eat it, before we crush it, just like your body was crushed, God, today we just want to say we remember. We remember and we're so thankful and we're so grateful for everything that you've done for us, everything you've provided for us. God, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are my provider. God, we thank you today that you've set us free, God. God, when we were stuck in bondage, you set us free. God, we thank you today that when we were sick, you healed us. God, we thank you today that, that, we, that by your your stripes, we are healed. God, we thank you that you have provided everything we need to live a life of godliness. And not only do we remember our past, God, but we look forward with hope to our future and that you're going to continue to be there for us. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread. As you eat that bread, we're going to open up that cup. Now we're going to, we're going to, You've got grape juice in your hand. And listen, let me tell you this. We, we, we do open communion here. We believe everybody can take communion. But at the same time, I'm not dumb. I know that we may not all be right with God. I know that in a room this size, there may be some of us that aren't serving him today. There may be some of us that are dealing with some sin. There may be some of us that are dealing with some junk, some bondage in our life. And, and, and there may be some of us today that we need, we need to ask God to forgive us. I want to tell you what that, what that juice represents. That juice represents the blood of the sacrifice. The Bible says that in order for us to be forgiven of our sins in the Old Testament, that a lamb had to die and his blood had to be sprinkled. And they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it symbolically over the people to say that the blood of the sacrifice is covered and washed your sins away. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus dies on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. 
When we talked last week about, about, you know, spiritual warfare and how people talk about generational curses and people talk about all this stuff. And listen, here's the main thing I understand. You can talk about the past all you want, but as soon as Jesus steps on the scene, he breaks every curse every chain, every bondage. He sets us free from every slavery. And we don't have to worry about that mess anymore. And so today, as we take this cup, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for his freedom. Let's be thankful for his sacrifice. Let's be thankful for the fact that as we take this cup, even though it's just juice and it's just running into our bellies, that's all it's doing. But in the spiritual, the blood represents cleansing. And there may be some of you today that, You say, Gabriel, I'm not serving God today. Here's what I want you to do. As we pray over this, I want you to ask God to forgive you of your sins. I want you to tell him. You tell him on your own. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You're adults in this room. And so here's what I want you to do. Just begin to say, God, today, I want to give you my heart. Begin to tell him right now that you want him to forgive you of your sins. You want you to be set free today of any sins, any bondage, any addiction, any problem that you've been walking through, the things that you couldn't let go of. Just ask him today to set you free. And God, today we just submit our will to you. We submit our mind to you. We submit our heart to you today. And we just believe that your blood covers every sin. And we submit to that in the name of Jesus. We remember your sacrifice. Go ahead and take the cup. We'll get back to praying at the end of the service. If you need prayer today, then we'll we'll have... You know some of our prayer team members, they'll be around. You can pray with them, but I want to pray for everyone right now. And then, and that's how we're going to close out the service. We're going to pray, and then, then uh, Cowboy's going to come up and close us out. But God, right now, I just want to lift up everybody in this room. I want to lift up everybody in this room. If you're struggling today, if you're saying, I'm going through a situation, I'm going through an issue today, I'm struggling with a person, or I'm struggling with, a, with something at work, or I'm struggling with something at home. If you're going through something today, I want you just to lift your hands up right now, and let's, let us pray right now. God, we just pray as, as a family today, we just believe today, as we struggle, as we deal with some stuff, we got some stuff going on. God, I just pray that you would help us to be thankful today. God, we, we may struggle with our kids today and we may get upset with our kids. And, and God, I know your word says that, that to love is to be patient and we're just struggling with that today. God, help us to be thankful for our kids today. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be grateful for the blessing that they are to our lives. And and God, I pray today if we're struggling in our marriage, God, we're struggling with that person. God, help us to be thankful for our spouse today. God, maybe we're struggling because we're not married, God. and, and, And maybe that's a struggle in our mind today. Help us to be content with you and to know that you're the provider. God, maybe we're struggling in our finances today. Maybe there's a, an area of weakness. God, we begin to covet what other people have. And I just pray today that we would stop comparing and learn to be content with all that you've provided. Help us to be thankful today. And I pray that, God, as we walk in thanksgiving, as we become people that are thankful, God, that you're going to guard our hearts and our minds. You're going to give us peace and you're going to give us your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.